Hello, everybody. This is Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelican. You are listening to episode 105, and tonight we are continuing on in the 1990s horror category and covering the top five horror movies of 1992. So, Frank, this year is chock full of uh, horror movies. Like when I looked them up, I like to see what was on the list, but um, a lot of them not very good, and a lot of them predominantly sequels. It seems um, in this year. Um, just to run through the sequels list, because it's even more obnoxious than last uh, year that we covered, 1991. Uh, we have Basket Case 3, Cor- Children of the Corn 2, The Gate 2, Hellraiser 3, House 4, Maniac Cop 3, Prom Night 4, Pet Cemetery 2, Scanners 3, Stepfather 3, which I did not know a lot of these existed, and especially that one. Tetsuo 2, which I didn't know was a thing. Um, and then the Unnameable Two and Witchcraft Four, <clears throat> and that's the list of sequels in this year. You also missed uh, the Amityville sequel and um, Alien Three. So. Oh, gee. well, I, I I saw Alien Three and I didn't know whether to put it on. Yeah, we don't need to count that, but still, you got that Amityville. It's about time. Which, which one? Which Amityville is it? It's about time. It's about time. Oh, that's the <laughs> clock one. Yeah. Yeah, I tried to watch that. Yeah, that's the one I I was telling you I tried to watch last summer, and um, I made it like ten minutes in. And I just couldn't do it. Like, it's incredibly awful. Yeah, it yeah. was it was really bad. Um, and bright, very bright for a horror movie for some reason. Um, I don't think of any of those movies you named are even like really worth watching. Um, Hellraiser three is okay, I guess, but it's still not very good. Like Hellraisers go down exponentially, like as you move on through them. It's really weird to me that you have Children of the Corn two, which is like what now seven years after the original, I think. Well, you got eighty six yeah. or eighty seven is Children of the Corn. Have you ever seen anything past House two? I believe I've seen House three. Okay. You know, I'm not a big fan of the house series, so. Right. Like, I like the Prom Night series, and I've seen this one, and it's not very good. And I like um, the Scanners movies, and I've seen this one, and it's not very good. Um, I actually do enjoy that Tetsuo, but I didn't really want to talk about it, because um, it's kind of just more of the same of the original uh, Iron Man, except for, like, even more crazy. Gotcha. Um, does, I really... Does it- in- does it change in terms of its philosophy at all? Like the the sociological like statements that it was making. Yeah, it's still pretty much the same. Same, same movie. Yeah. Um, I do enjoy the first Unnameable, but the second Unnameable, I don't remember being much of a direct sequel. Like I think it's just the sequel and name only. Mm. Um, the first Unnameable is not a good movie, but it's fun. Like it's got some pretty. It's like Castle Freak in that respect, where it's like. You're never going to be like impressed by anything in it, but it still is entertaining for 90 minutes. So given the amount of sequels here, do you think this is we're still just in this period that we talked about last month where everything is kind of this direct to video money grab type situation in 92? I mean, a lot of it, unless it's like foreign for the most part, like it's going to be. There's very little that and I think we talk about four of the five movies that came out this year that are really just like original mm-hmm. um, creations of their own. But even like one of the movies on this list is, you know, 
like a reimagining sequel sure. to yeah a pretty popular series right and even like some of the movies i was going to ask you about that weren't sequels so like lawnmower man for instance and like what your thoughts were on that that's an adaptation yeah and i'm just not a fan of lawnmower man yeah um lawnmower and- man makes me really uncomfortable but not like in a like good horror movie kind of way just in i don't know i don't know how to explain it like i'm really not a fan of that movie well i mean it's really unfortunate that like computer animation um i remember like I mean, i'm sure that does not age well at all if it was even aged well at the time like yeah, it's pretty bad um and then dracula is an adaptation of course um what are your feelings on coppola's uh uh dracula there i kind of hate it um I think it's way too pretentious for its own good. Um, I think it's got some interesting like visuals in it, but I don't really find it to be a horror movie. And I hate the way that um, Dracula looks like he looks like a. He looks like he belongs yeah. more as like low pans, like right for something. And I was going to say he looks like he belongs in Jabba's palace. Like he looks a lot like a Bifortuna like type species. To me, he looks like some Chinese grandma or something. I don't mm-hmm. know. Like his hair buns and whatnot. Like I just, I just don't like, don't like that movie. Yeah, that was a movie that I thought I liked when I was like thirteen, and then I actually owned it on VHS. I remember, and then I like watched it a couple more times, and I'm pretty sure I'll have to ask Bledsoe. I think we just ended up making fun of it a lot and like watching it over and over and like laughing at it because there was just some really bad shit in it. Like after a while, we realized. Um. Basically, yeah, there's some pretty in- ridiculous stuff turned it into demolition man like and just like watched it just to laugh at it i think um because i mean keanu's not good in that movie like it's it's it's, i mean really aside from old men like nobody's really good in it yeah necessarily right it's okay like yeah hopkins is way over the top like anything ever (laughs) most overrated actor of all time or high on that list um okay then uh original buffy the vampire slayer uh the movie with, comes out this year like what do you think of that movie compared to it's fine it's just cheesy yeah i guess like looking back on it it's probably a little more i don't know original than i gave it credit for at the time um especially considering that it's spawned like one of our favorite television franchises of all time but right it's still just cheap like teen horror comedy for the most part yeah and dr giggles yeah dr giggles is another one that's like i don't know i mean whatever larry drake is is pretty like over the top in that movie and it's fun to watch but it's not like a good movie or anything right same with demonic toys demonic first demonic toys movie is 92 and that spawned a pretty long-running franchise Mm. that paired with toy man all the time and maybe even Puppet Master. Puppet Masters, yeah, I think so. Yeah, all that Full Moon video stuff is all like melds together at a certain point. Yeah. Um, I saw Doctor Giggles at the old Elka Movies four. That's something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what did I see there? Last of the Mohicans, I saw there. I saw a lot of things there. Actually, that was my first date with like one of my. My high school girlfriends was seeing last yeah. of the Mohicans at the mm-hmm. movies for. That was my first date with the girl that I was seeing, like in eighth grade or whatever. It was Doctor Giggles. So, yeah. 
um, old Dr. Giggles. Uh, the one I really want to ask you about here, because I think it depends on how you define this movie or how you, like, you, you categorize it. Um, Firewalk With Me comes out this year. And did you dismiss it because you don't think of it as a horror movie or is it because we've talked about Firewalk With Me before? I mean, it's pretty horrific, but like, I don't know how much I consider any of Lynch's stuff to be. I mean, it's all horror, right? So like, right, right. It transcends being a horror movie. It's like a psychological. I don't even know what you call that. Really? Because I could see the argument for it being called horror, particularly Firewalk with me compared to some of his other ones. Sure. Like, um, and it might be the only one that I could see that argument like strongly being made for. But um, but yeah, I I, I get your reluctance, you know, to define it that way. I would call Lost Highway horror. Yeah, oh, yeah, you're no, you're right. You're right. Yeah, maybe those two. Yeah, everything else I think is like psychological drama with elements of horror mixed in. Right. Yeah. Like any, any empire and yeah, and uh, Mahalan Drive, right? He has this like way of like um yeah it's like it's not strict horror but it's like he has this way of like I don't even know what the word for it would be of imbuing his movies with like this unknown like factor almost that like becomes horrific or something like yeah I you know what I would consider Blue Velvet to be horror too really yeah hmm see I consider Blue- that more crime. Basically. It's got that weird, like, pseudo supernatural element to it, though. And I think that Frank is, I mean, he's a well, psychopath. Sure. And sure. Yeah, that's true. He's like a serial killer, so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's yeah. a psychological horror, I think. Yeah, I just, I guess I've always viewed it as crime just because in some way you have a detective kind of in it. And. All right. Anything else from this year? I mean, this was a pretty like miserable year, I thought, like overall in terms of like the other, like a lot of the other selections that are outside of your list. There's actually a low budget German movie. I think it's called Blood Moon that came out this year. Um, that's one of the most notorious like grind grind core slasher movies from the nineties. Um, I don't think I know this. What's what's? It's terrible. It's it's a um. I don't know what you would call it, like, killer loose among, like, this elite group of rich people on this island or whatever. Mm. I think I own it on DVD, maybe, or something. Um, It's one of those things that when I was really into, like, super into horror in the early 2000s, I think I picked it up, like, a bootleg of it, or probably, like, Shock Factory or something released it. Um, It's not very good, but why is it like kind of like what did you, how did you describe oh because it's just ins- it's insanely graphic yeah okay like the kills in it are really mm-hmm. almost like fetishistic it's one of those terrible foreign i don't know like pseudo psychiatry like bullshit psychiatry explanations for he was abused by his mom when he was a kid or something like that i can't remember what sure. the exact premise is but yeah yeah, not a very good movie, but notable. 
Okay. All right. You ready to jump in then? Let's jump in. All right. So number five on your list uh, is the movie called The Guard from the Underground. And this is going to be a bunch of names that I end up fucking up here. So it is directed by... (laughs) See, I'm already like... Because I'm looking at the last name. I'm already going to fuck up the director's name, which I actually know. Kiyoshi Kurosawa. It stars Mikiko Kuno, Yataka Mushushi, and then Ren Osuki. Um, it is not rated by critics on Rotten Tomatoes, and it has an 18% from audiences. You want to tell us a little bit about this movie, um, why you like it, and why you think it's 18% from audiences? Um, I mean, it's an 18%, I would say, because it's it's a slasher movie, but with the very, like, okay, so the premise is that there's this former disgraced sumo wrestler who was arrested for the murder of his lover and his best friend who were having an affair, um, but he was released on a psychological discharge. Basically, he was found to be insane, so not culpable for his actions, um, although even after his release, they're still investigating him because, like, it's not believed that he was really insane. So he gets a job as a security guard in this building on the same day that this other um, young girl named Akiko gets a job um, working for this like large corporation as a consultant for like art purchases. Um, he's just basically this hawking psychopath murderer. Um, she's this timid, like uncertain kind of waifish woman who is kind of bullied around by the people in her office and is sexually harassed, like pretty blatantly by her new boss and, um, kind of finds, a, <clears throat> I don't know what you call it, like an ally in um, Hyoto, who's the guy that's like really in charge of like the whole building or the whole corporation or whatever. So, um, Fujimaro, who's the psychotic serial killing sumo wrestler becomes obsessed with her. Um, builds a shrine to her in the basement, basically murders a ton of people. Um, but in the end, um, he gets taken out and basically like murder, kills himself, um, in front of her shrine. Um, it's really, so this is not a very good movie necessarily, but I think it's a really important movie because not even important, but it's an interesting, like relic in the career of one of my favorite Japanese horror directors in Kaiushi Kurosawa. Um, this being like one of his really early movies. So the plot line is much different than what he would go on to direct later. I mean, this is um, Pulse that we talked about before. Um, he's also directed some other really great movies, uh, Cure and Charisma, um, a movie from about 10 years ago called Creepy. That's a really good like serial killer uh, murder mystery type movie. Um, he's got a very distinct visual style. Like he's very not Japanese in his visual narrative um, in that he tends to have really long, like almost languorous, like shots of things like windows. And he's really, he's almost got kind of like a Lynchian obsession with filming like deteriorating industrial things like, mm-hmm office furniture and um, appliances and whatnot. Um, And so you kind of can see the building of his visual style in this movie where he's 
taking this ridiculous concept, but like finding his own voice in it. So there's a bunch of scenes where they show you the horror of something in a very brief shot. Cause that's, that's his big thing is like, again, like it's almost Lynchy and he'll show you like the empty space or the place where something terrible is going to happen or has happened. And he spends a long time doing that, but he spends a very brief amount of time showing you the actual, like, whatever like the terrible thing occurring itself um and he's much more interested in like building tension through quiet and through like just weird things happening to normal people and it's just you you see it here like in the start with the start of him like developing that style and in a few years from now and i think we might talk about this in a few months um the movie cure comes out and cure is like this revelatory movie at the time considering like what You know, because most of the Japanese directors are very traditional, and so they almost direct with like a like a kabuki esque or like no theater like philosophy in the sense of like their ghosts are very pronounced movements, and it's you know like jerky camera movements and the way that they like move and the way that they're filmed and the makeup on like supernatural things and kurosawa is a lot different than that like he's much more much more in the vein of like a western director and the way that he films stuff and just the almost like hyper real um like aesthetic that he applies to his movies and so this um, is the, the old style you're talking about are this things like um how like a japanese movie called house right yeah. and I, like uh what what's the movie that you made me watch all those years ago fight on exactly Quite, yeah right, yeah okay that's it yeah yeah like kurosawa was not influenced by quite on and Hauzu and because you see those influences and in, um there's another movie that's very similar to quite on called um jingoku that you would probably hate that's really similar in tone mm-hmm. in the way that it's it's filmed you see a lot of that and stuff like ringu and juan and um dark water even although dark dark water is more western than it's right. appears yeah. from the time but there's like this huge glut of just japanese horror from the eye which isn't japanese mm-hmm. but still asian horror i mean that are mm-hmm. filmed in this very distinctive style and kurosawa is like the opposite of that style and i really love it's one of the reasons why pulse is one of my favorite ghost movies of all time just because <clears throat> the ghosts aren't filmed in this i don't know like i always think of the like the iconic shot of um sadoku or sadoku sadako from the ring um when she's looking down through her like through her hair and it's just like this like really like distinct eye like looking down and it's very um like the yokai in japan are very I don't want to say theatrical, but very pronounced. Like it's it's a very certain aesthetic to horror, and Kurosawa is really different from that. So I wouldn't recommend like really watching this movie. So it's kind of weird to put it on this list, um, because a lot of it is just kind of I don't want to say not well done, but it's just like it's it's not the best movie. But it's also really like cool to watch like there's a lot of scenes that he films inside the building itself where you feel like you're almost trapped in that building like there's no escape from that mm-hmm. building basically <clears throat> it's the way that he films corridors and the way that he films 
transitional like areas like portals from one area to another like doorways or windows or whatever and again like his almost like really like odd fixation on things that should not be horrific but he can imbue like a sense of like dread into him um the one thing the one scene i think of specifically because it's really reminiscent of stuff that he did later when she's in um what's his name like karamu whatever her boss's office and he's basically like taking off his pants so she can look at his dick or whatever. Um, he leads up to that by like slowly filming like this. Number one, it's like all natural light in there. Like it's not like brightly lit by like office lights. It's like he's got the lights off, but the sun's coming in. And you've got like the light going through the slats of the window and then like the slowly turning fan that just is like slightly discolored and looks like old. And it kind of gives the office this like cheap like dirty feeling to it and it's a lot of that is stuff that he does much later in his career um and probably culminates with like what i consider to be his masterpiece impulse um just with the way that he films the world where you feel like the decay of the world is sort of mirrored in the you know the falling mm-hmm. apart of the characters and whatnot so yeah so this is more for you would probably say a kind of Kurosawa completionist kind of to in studying his career more than maybe for necessarily a general audience almost. Yeah. Just because nobody really talked. I mean, I don't know who's talking about Kaiushi Kurosawa anyway, but like when I was really getting into J horror, so in the late nineties and early two thousands, like this was not a movie that I really had heard about. And I found it randomly We've talked about this before, but I used to do this um, tape trading on this one horror website that for the life of me, I can't remember the name of it, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's where I saw a bunch of like the older stuff and like the 90s J-horror that really like had not, I don't know if it's ever been, I'm sure it's been released at some point, but at that point, like it was hard pressed for us to get even like Ringu or whatever, like you couldn't find any of that stuff. Um. So it was, you know, this tape trading where it would be like $3 a tape that I would send a guy a check. Mm-hmm. And then like six weeks later, I'd get like a box of like VHSs that mm-hmm. he had taped me from like Japanese laser discs or whatever with, you know, sometimes not even any English subtitling. Like I honestly, like I seem to think I saw this movie with just Japanese dialogue, if I'm not mistaken, because when I watched it this time, I was like, oh, I don't remember this. But I think it's because I never had any idea what the fuck was going on. Right sat there and watched it so and there was actually a few like that that i got probably like six or seven where i until i saw them like translated years later i had no idea what the actual plot of the movie was aside mm-hmm. from what i assigned in my head right so so what, let me ask what was your feeling when you would get those boxes like in in, in the mail of those videotapes oh my god like super excited mm-hmm. it was like christmas like a few times a year like opening them up and because you know there was no youtube there was no mm-hmm. there was no way for you to see outside of something like fangoria fangoria or and even that didn't really even exist as much back then like you were just kind of had to read about these movies on i don't know like fanzines and message boards and be like oh well, that sounds amazing and you know i just started learning about a lot of these directors um so kurosawa and um Takashi Miike particularly 
like yeah. trying to find all of those movies as much as possible and watching them. And it was just um a super exciting feeling that it's really difficult to replicate now. Right. Not to say that I can't still have that feeling sometimes but it's mm-hmm. just not quite the same how can you like everyone how, how do you get that feeling over yeah explain like that. there's when i so you know that i'm pretty obsessive about flipping through the different channels i subscribe to and trying to like find things on it and every once in a while like i'll find something like prime will have a movie up that is like new to a stream or netflix will like upload a bunch of stuff that not necessarily like they don't like really push it but then you start to look and you find like all these great old movies and that's that's pretty much the same feeling and honestly i i really get it like after i watch something that i was not expecting to be great so i've in the past like month i've probably watched six or seven movies that really caught me off guard by how great they were and i didn't expect anything out of them and mm-hmm. it's it's kind of like that feeling but it's in reverse words after i watch the movie Hmm. Um, yeah. it's tough though because I mean I hate to say that like, I've seen I mean I've seen a lot so there's sure. not a whole lot of older movies that so you get the same feeling from the anticipation than you after the fact almost you would well, say just, like, super excited to find something that's like really great hmm. when you're not expecting it interesting okay there's a um there's a documentary coming out. I'm, I always fuck up this title. Um, it's about folk folk horror. So it starts with like the early '70s um, Hammer and um, uh, shit, Hammer and Trig- Trigon maybe. Anyway, it's like um, Witchfinder General and Blood on Satan's Call, um, and then traces the use of like folk folklore and horror movies and like i'm incredibly excited to watch that documentary so right and like the green knight you know what i mean like there's stuff that's coming out this year Mm -hmm. that um or that antlers movie that never came out where right like i'm consistently because i know it's not stuff that's going to be like super advertised or pushed so i gotta like consistently all the time like go and look at prime and see if it's up for you know, to rent and like always like looking online and seeing like, when's this going to become available to see, or can I go see it in the theater at some point, you know, because now that might become a thing again in the next couple of months. So, right. There's still that feeling of anticipation, but. But it's not like actually, waiting weeks for VHS boxes to come in for things right. you've been reading about. Well, Cause for... also even when I order shit that I want to see, or, you know, cause like, as a side, like, you know, I collect old video games and there's some other stuff that I like collect that I'm really into, like old Dungeons and Dragons um magazines and books and whatnot. And um I recently got a box of old Nintendo powers um from the original like within the original like thirty or so issues of Nintendo Power. So it's all like the early NES and the first parts of like the Super Nintendo. And man, let me tell you, like reading through those yeah. that was pretty um pretty amazing. Right. And that was that same feeling when I opened it and I was like, holy shit, like there's so much great stuff to look at here. So Yeah. I know you know what I'm doing. Um it's a conversation we've had off <laughs> off air, but it's like I, I'm still convinced that it was better back then when you had to wait as opposed to hitting pay 
three ninety nine, pay six ninety nine, and have it immediately. Like I'm still being, convinced that, I, that 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 waiting for those videotapes was a better feeling than it is. So, but here's the counterpoint to that: that when I like rent a movie now and it sucks, I mean that sucks, but whatever. Like it's over, you know. It's my time might have been wasted, but. I can move on to the next thing. Like, let me tell you that when you got, especially ordering from like, like doing like the tape trading or even worse ordering from like video choice, Miami, where you're like spending like $30 on these bootleg VHS tapes, dude, when they sucked or the quality was bad or the tape didn't work, there is no worse feeling in the world. Like at least now you don't have that much of a low. Like you just sure. move on to the next. Like I get then, the quali- I get the quality issue. Let me ask you this though: Do you think that you ha- hold those movies in higher regard than others might sometimes because you had to wait for it? That you because you like were focused on those movies and like you like. Well, I mean that's the. I don't even know what you call this. It. That's that's the question of. Like why. So Frankie and I were talking about this a couple weeks ago. Like, why did I esteem music more than it's esteemed now? You know, or like books or comics because I had to work to find that stuff. Like right. you had to research right. and right. look. And... But it gave you this false sense of like pretension that you were somehow better because like you had found these things when in reality you were just, I don't know, whatever. Like, did I really re- gain anything by like all that work that I did? I mean, I still research, not research, but I still read about stuff all the time and try and find, you know, movies that I want to watch or. Yeah. That's a folly of youth though. Thinking if it's an, if it becomes, if it becomes an ego thing, I mean, you still, like you said, you still do the same thing nowadays. So that was just a feeling that nobody, other people weren't doing that as much and you were. So there maybe is some superiority that comes with a youthful arrogance or something like that because of it. Well, let's um, ask this. Cause I just watched ghost world again yesterday. Yeah. For the first time in like 20 plus years. Yeah. And see one of, one of Steve Buscemi's lines is like, I hate my hobbies and interests because they stop me from having like real connections with other people. And isn't mm-hmm. that kind of, isn't that kind of true? Like, isn't it almost like worse? Like now, at least, it's not an obsession. It's just a thing that I enjoy doing. It's a legitimate hobby. Like, well, right? Then, yeah. <clears throat> sure. Know, okay, fucking, I get the I get the distinction that you're making there. Sure. Yeah. Longest fucking review of a movie that I particularly care for we've ever had. And it's not going to end because I do have one more question for you about this movie. And um, where do you rank Kurosawa among those um, kind of like preeminent like horror directors of the '90s and early 2000s? Like in terms of Japanese directors, I mean, like, like Mikay. I think Kurosawa was a better director than Mikay. Um, he's he's probably he's probably the best Asian horror director of that time period, especially for like a ten year. Because you look at people like, okay, so Mike is so prodigious in his, like, his output that it's almost, 
so many things are just like mediocre and some things are are so bad that his great stuff is kind of outweighed just by the huge like breadth of work you know what i mean mm-hmm. and then like hideo nakata the guy that did like ringu like he's really good but he did some really bad stuff too and he's very much just like a creature of habit in the way that he directs so like he kind of found his thing and did his thing and that was just the thing that he did over and over again um so i don't know yeah i mean kurosawa What's his name? Um, Byung Jung Hoon or whatever is really good. Um, he's out again. He's what a little he? later than this. Uh, the host and Memories of a Murder and. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I was just wondering. I, I would. I. 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 I think Kurosawa is genius, and honestly, like, I'm super excited to watch. Um. Pure and charisma for these lists. Yeah. And I watch, you know, like Pulse is one of my favorite horror movies of all time. Like I watched that movie. Right. And I feel and I feel like you've had me watch Seance, correct? Yeah, I think watched you, that at one point. You watched Creepy recently too. Uh yes. Yes, I did. Maybe with uh, the family that yeah. lives next to the insane people family. Yep. 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 I did. I forgot about that already. But uh, yeah, no, that was. And then um, Loft. I think. Yeah, maybe? Loft is really good. You had me watch it. I think too. Loft is not really good. Loft is good, but not as good. I, I think that he started to realize at a point that maybe he didn't want to do outright horror anymore. So he kind of changes into, like, he does a lot of sci-fi and just drama over the past decade. Um, not that any of that stuff's bad. Like, he's got some good movies in there, but. He sort of moved away from the like overt horror, right? Okay, um, okay, we can we can finish with him now. But I, I mean, I do think it's important to talk about him some, just because of what's to come in the latter part. You know, especially if people are just listening to these. You know, especially in hindsight, um, kind of in a row, just the horror stuff. It, it's going to become important here in a few months. You know, like when we get to the late, late, like mid to late nineties and stuff like that. Um, uh, all right. So number four on your list is uh, Peter Jackson's Brain Dead, more commonly known in North America as Dead Alive. It stars Timothy Baum, Diana Penelver, and Elizabeth Moody. It has an 88% from critics and an 87% from audiences. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about this movie and why it's on the list? Um, it's one of Peter Jackson's early efforts. Um, follows. Uh, Oh shit, what the fuck is the thing called? The something rat monkey? <laughs> what is that? Sumatran, Sumatran rat, rat monkey? Uh, I know it's from Skull Island, right? But it's um Sum- Sumatran rat monkey, yes. Yeah, so this I don't know what you call it, anthropologist asshole like captures this rat monkey creature and is pursued by some really um socially uncomfortable representations of like natives of this island in New Zealand. Um, the rat monkey is taken to a zoo. It ends up biting the mother of this nebbish young man. Um, and turning her into a zombie. 
um she kills it it's kind of a romantic comedy in the sense that he's like trying to build this budding relationship with um uh paquita who's the um romani like sales girl at the store that he frequents um but his mother's increasing like appetites as a zombie are sort of getting in the way of that relationship. Um, and then it's just a bunch of zombies and his creepy uncle comes and there's just a bunch of characters that are introduced just to either like get killed or kill some zombies and then get killed. And um, it's a really over the top, one of the at the time one of the bloodiest movies ever and really impossible to see in the united states for a long time um in its original uh original cut length um just because of our puritan views on like what should or shouldn't be seen um so i didn't actually even see this movie in its uncut form until well no Probably a few years after its release, because again, I would I got a bootleg of it from like a Japanese laserdisc that was uncut. But um, like the original cut of it's like cuts like ten minutes out just because of the sheer amount of gore. Um, some really funny one-liners in it. Uh, the priest in particular, like yes, yeah, I kick yeah. ass for the Lord, and yeah. um, fuck, I forgot. Like I when when they were happening, I remember thinking like, oh my god, like I said that for years, I forgot that it was from this movie. Mm-hmm. Um just a really over the top fun you know it's jackson at his most i don't know like free from any kind of like pretension of being a great director just making this ridiculous probably inspired somewhat by like the return of the living dead movies and evil dead is my guess um zombie movie which some ridiculous kills and God, like the the one zombies intestines come to life and start attacking right, them. Yeah. Like they animate the the holes of the like whatever the stomach, like the stomach cavity, so it looks like a face. And um, the one zombie girl like getting shoved onto a light, so her face is like all lit up mm-hmm. like a Christmas bulb, and that's a really cool effect. And zombie getting his head knocked off and then replaced with a garden gnome which is pretty funny and it's just a lot of really funny ridiculous like kills in it and yeah ultimately it's a good love story because you know they triumph in the end and they're able to go off together um not really much more to say than that yeah it was an incredibly controversial and deeply like cult movie at the time like this was something that you know we would rent and watch and feel really cool that like we knew about brain dead <clears throat> that we had um probably less so now just because i think with jackson's popularity um from the lord of the rings movies and the lord of the rings like franchise i suppose um a lot of his movies you know were became much more commonplace i guess or renowned like it were easier for you to watch them so yeah i when did you i feel like i saw this movie in the mid 90s 
You probably did. Okay. All right. Like the VHS was out by then? Like an official yeah, VHS? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The oh, VHS okay. was out in like 93, probably. There was the, the American edit, The Dead Alive. So the cover with um the person pulling their face apart with like the eyes coming out of it. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, know, so I that, know exactly what you're talking about. That was a pretty wide release VHS in the horror section in the mid 90s. But that was the American edit. So it cuts out like, I think like 10 or 11 minutes of the total movie runtime. So mm-hmm. I had seen that, but then we, like, I had learned that there was like another edit. So that was the, this is one of the movies that I, I think I bought this from Video Miami for like $30 or something. And it was just the, um, the original, the original, whatever new zealand film um dubbed from a laser disc onto like sp or whatever mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah so you, you probably saw it in the mid 90s though would okay. be my guess yeah um maybe you asked me the other night over text like uh how do you not hate this movie <laughs> right i mean it's possible i was i thought about that since like it's possible I was less jaded back then um, and less particular about my tastes, but I don't think that's that's the case because like everything that you just mentioned are things that I like. I mean, I, I think it's because it doesn't take itself too seriously, but it is and, and the but the humor because I don't like also humor and, and I really don't. And, and a lot of that also humor to me, like almost stems from like a kind of like money, Monty Python type uh, humor, which is hit or miss for me. Um, and I don't think it goes far enough into that territory to where it turns me off. And because it doesn't take the violence that seriously, um, like I think I can laugh at the idea of like the the light bulb in the face and like you know all that kind of stuff. So I just find it to be an enjoyable comedy that's not trying to overstay its welcome or be more than what it is. And I appreciate that about it. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. Traditionally, I would like dislike this type of movie, but um, watching it again after all these years because it's only probably I think this is only the second, maybe third time I've seen it in my life. Um, I might have watched it over at Chuck's one time. But, um, yeah, I found this, like, still to be enjoyable. Um, and you're right, I don't like stop-motion animation that much either. Um, but it's like, I don't know, I thought it was all very funny because, again, a lot of it's tongue-in-cheek. So, I don't take it as seriously, kind of. No. And it doesn't gross me out. Like, you know, like, the gross-out is, like... It's, like, so... Again, it's so over-the-top, the, the gross-out stuff, that it's, like, it's, it, it doesn't affect me whatsoever. Um... I'll never understand why you hate Meet the Feebles. Uh, yeah, I know, I know, but it, it's, it's fucking gross, and it makes me sick to my stomach even thinking about that movie. It's, it's I, I, so I just funny. looked, I just looked at a picture, a still image of that when I was just quickly, like you know, just like looking around at some shit online, like while you were talking about this, and it's like, oh, I can't, I can't, I can't. I'm looking now to see if I can rent it somewhere. <laughs> um. You, you go on with yourself. Um, you'll get me one day. One day you'll get me, and you'll make me watch that movie again, and I will resent you forever. But um, <clears throat> I, I even it doesn't even come up on Prime. It's on Tubi for free. Um, is it? Yep. So oh, shit. 
come on to me. But yeah, um, I was looking this up. It's really interesting to me because um, I don't really have a lot to say about this movie that I still found it enjoyable after all these years. But I will say this about Jackson after we just shit all over him during the 100th um, episode and, you know, and stuff like that about like Lord of the Rings a little bit. He's a really loyal guy because I was looking at the screenwriters for um, Brain Dead and. The two people that uh, co-write it with him, Stephen Sinclair and Francis Walsh, work with him on tons of stuff up until this day um, as screenwriters. Like, um, he, uh, Sinclair worked with him on, um, well, Meet the Feebles before this, but um, Two Towers. And then um, Francis Walsh has been with him, like, basically through, like, most of his career now, uh, where she co-wrote Meet the Feebles, Brain Dead, Heavenly Creatures, Frighteners, um, was involved in all the Lord of the Rings, King Kong, Lovely Bones. Like, basically, it's just like, they're a duo, and I didn't even know this until, like, I just happened to, like, look at her, and I had no idea that, basically, he had a screenwriting uh, a screenwriting partner um, throughout his career. All the Hobbit movies, the Lovely Bones, um, and Mortal Engines, like, she's basically written... Yeah, she's, she's been with them forever. Yeah. Um, which is it's crazy. funny because like I, I love Peter Jackson up to a point. Like I'm a pretty staunch defender of Frighteners, and there's a lot of people that hate that movie, but like I really enjoy Frighteners. I think Heavenly Creatures is a great movie. I like this movie a lot. I like Bad Taste a lot. It's just, I don't know. It's just those friggin' fucking Lord of the Rings movies, man. <laughs> It's like he gave up everything that made him who he was. And King Kong, too. I mean. King Kong was after Lord of the Rings, wasn't it? Oh, you're saying everything up into Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I thought you just meant it was just the Lord of the Rings. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that I... I'm pretty sure that I've liked at least one of his other movies. The Lovely Bones? Uh, Lovely Bones is fine. But it's not, like, great. It's just Mortal Engines other than... Or, hold on. Did he direct something without her, maybe? Um, no, he's done some documentary stuff. Yeah, he just produced some shit. But... Right. Yeah, like I, I really like I like Frighteners, Heavenly Creatures, Brain Dead, Meet the Feebles, obviously, Bad Taste, like all that stuff is um right. I think are really enjoyable movies and it's just I don't know. Yeah. Like he lost something. Yeah. Um Yeah, I mean I think he became more obsessed with uh spectacle. I mean, yeah. honestly, in a different type of way, like at a higher level, like, um, well, reverential spectacle because he was so in love with, um, Tolkien's work, which like I get, like, sure. I just think he, I don't know. I think he missing. Anyway, we talked about that enough. So yeah. Right. All right. So number three on your list is your man Richard Stanley's movie Dust Devil. Uh, it stars Robert Burke, Chelsea Field, and Zeke Smokai. It has a twenty nine percent. I put that per- in number three. Yes. 
Oh, God damn it. I fucked that up then. But that's fine. We'll talk about it. <laughs> do you want to do you want to reverse them? No, it's supposed to be number two, but it doesn't. What, oh, what does okay. it really matter in the long run? It can be okay. number three. Okay. Uh, it has a 29% from critics. Um, and that's all based off only seven reviews. Um, and then a 60% from audiences. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about this probably re- relatively unknown movie um, and what you like about it so much that you put it number two, but accidentally put it number three on the list? <clears throat> Damn it. I really thought... I, 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 it's because you, yeah, it's because because I thought it was another. Di- I, I, right. Anyway, right. Uh-huh. <clears throat> um, Richard Stanley's second directorial effort, um, following up, following up, uh, Hardware, which we talked about a couple months ago, um, takes place in Namibia, Namibia. Um, the woman who is fleeing her, not really abusive, just kind of a. A, a dork like the, a doofus husband um she crosses paths with a serial killer who is a ritualistic murderer and supernatural force um and is tracked by uh the guy from uh serpent in the rainbow <coughs> who's a police chief detective um basically trying to solve these murders that have been occurring along these lonely stretches of roads in the desert um, outside of the major metropolitan areas of Namibia. Um, It's a, it's folk horror in the sense that it's based on like myth of these supernatural beings that can masquerade as men that have control over like the elements, these dust devils that basically take the lives of people that have given up on living um, and use their souls and like their flesh to kind of sustain themselves. Um, Beautifully filmed in terms of like the setting. Uh, It's a setting that would later like you can actually even see like some of the stuff you can recognize uh, from the Fury Road, which was filmed in the same area. Mm-hmm. Um, so. The main villain, uh, played by Robert Burke, uh, the Dust Devil Hitch, I think is what they call him, um, has the right blend, I think, of menace and charm. Um sort of a combination in ways of like Rucker Hauer from the Hitcher and like a later example is maybe um, Javier Bardem in uh, No Country for Old Men. Just like this sort of almost like unstoppable force of nature that represents death that just kind of moves through like the fringes of society on these lonely roads and murders people. Um, Some pretty graphic um scenes of i don't know like not really mutilation but like the after effects of mutilation like body parts and corpses and um and a really interesting story in terms of it's actually pretty similar to a barker story but i can't remember the name of it um where a woman's leaving her husband and kind of gets embroiled with a a supernatural entity that 
kind of makes her wildest like fantasies come true, which is sort of what happens here. Um, although in the end, with her killing this creature, she sort of becomes an, infested with its spirit, and she becomes the new dust devil, sort of like this walker of the wastelands. That's like, you know, basically that she's just destined to keep on these supernatural killings. Um, really great scenes here. There's a, a scene where they go to this ghost town um, where she's trying to hide from the dust devil and um, her husband and the police chief are trying to find her. And they go into these um, rooms in this hotel that are just completely have been taken back over by the sand of like the desert. And it's just really beautiful and um, really eerie. <clears throat> and there's just a lot of that too with the way that it's filmed i mean because like this is probably just my own personal taste but i'm really fascinated with desert stuff that is filmed in the deserts um we watched that um war movie a few months ago the beast um with the the tank going across the desert and like uh, movies like right. that i just find really fascinating like i love that setting yeah. and I, I think there's something really mysterious and almost like unknowable about it and i think it's perfect here um and interesting just from the perspective that you don't really you don't really see much that comes out of africa in terms of especially stuff like um, namibia and south africa um so to see people like speaking like opera afrikaans or whatever that language is called afrikaners or whatever and the different culture that exists is um it's pretty fascinating and i think it's a good backdrop and I think Stanley does a really good job weaving this tale that has elements of really base, like physical horror with the sort of supernatural mythological element of like folklore horror. So just a really good movie. I really enjoy it. Yeah, I wasn't sure what to expect out of this. Um, but yeah, it was good overall. There were some parts that I thought were like a little, I thought the ending was a little convoluted. Um, but I really liked the journey and the relationship between, um, the, you know, wipe on the run and, and the supernatural kind of being and like how that kind of evolves and devolves like throughout. And, um, I like all the stuff too, with like, um, Zakes Mokai's character, like, and how that kind of like slowly <clears throat> also like develops alongside that story and how like they end up interweaving together it's just the ending kind of became a little too i don't think pretentious is the right word but um it becomes a little metaphysical yeah yeah and it's like i didn't feel like the metaphysical stuff was um maybe it was too it, metaphysical it was like it, it was very unclear and uh, like unwieldy kind of like from a script writing standpoint i thought or a storytelling standpoint Right. Well, it feels less earned than the yeah. physical yeah. horror of like the serial killer part of it. Um, just because even though people, you know, you're told the entire time by the um, Smodan or whatever they call him that this guy is a whatever, a dust devil, he still is just kind of presented as a, you know, a man for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I just felt like a little bit <clears throat> by like the last like. 15 minutes like just a little like uh both like underwhelmed and under and overwhelmed and underwhelmed like at the same time a little bit like it was like it's a lot going on and 
but like I don't know how much like in there's definitive conclusions that are drawn, and I'm sure that's part of the whole thing. He probably didn't want to draw any definitive conclusions, but like it just felt like I wanted something more definitive at the end of that um, than there sure. was to me. Like, and that, that was the, that was the, that was my only real complaint. I thought I thought it was a yeah, it was an interesting movie. And yes, you're right, fucking beautiful, beautiful movie. Um, I really like the score too. Um, yeah, it's it's a shame that Stanley got destroyed by um. Uh, Island of Dr. Moreau because I really would have liked to have seen if he just would have been allowed to keep making these small movies for a while mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to throw him into some hundred million dollar blockbuster. Um, I think he would have fared far better and would have had a much more prestigious career. But it's exciting now that he's able to um kind of step back into that with these Lovecraft movies. So I'm excited to see his next his next effort when it comes out. Yeah, no, um, no, I, 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 yeah, I, I didn't know who he was until like a year and a half ago when you like told me about him, you know. Um, and yeah, interesting guy. Um, it's a shame what happened there. I also thought, um, oh, what was her? Was her name? Is it Wendy? Right? Um, in the movie, um, Chelsea Field that plays her. I actually thought she was really good in this, and I was wondering, like, I sorry, I looked her up because I was wondering, like, why she has a good look. She looks a little bit like Majinomic to me, um, uh, at times, and only slightly like uh, less like girlish um, for the time period, and like more of like a like a full grown woman. Um, and I was like wondering, like, what her deal was, and she did look familiar, but I just thought I was thinking of Majinomic, but um. She um, she had been in like a number of things right around this time. She was in Harley Davidson, The Marlboro Man, The Last Boy Scout as the female lead. Um, she was in uh The Dark Half. Um, like right after this, um, in a prominent role. And um, I don't know what happened to her. Then it's just like a bunch of like like just shit movies, kind of. Um, uh, until you get the flipper with um. Paul Hogan and Elijah Wood in '96, but um, <clears throat> but yeah, it's all a bunch of shit movies for like um, like quite a while, and uh, yeah, I don't know, I don't know what happened there. So I thought she was um, I thought she was pretty good in this. You find that a lot with um, especially actresses from the '80s and '90s where they have this run of three or four movies and then they just disappear. Yeah, a lot of it is they got married. Tends to be the answer. Yeah, <clears throat> like yeah. not to sound um, sexist, but I think a lot of it is once yeah. you know they they met someone and they got married and they started having children that yeah. maybe it was more difficult for them to find roles because they lose their. You know what's fascinating though? Like, look, she had she's done a lot of TV in the past, like you know, like not a lot, but enough, like, but it was all around that time period. And then, but yeah, then the children thing comes up. What's fascinating though, she wanted to work. Um, do you know who she's married to? Oh. She married Scott Bakula. Um, oh, really? Yep. Um, and they they didn't marry until 2009, but they apparently had been together for like 15 years before that. So she met him around 94, 95, um, when the acting does take a dip and they have two children together. They just got married like much later after they've been together for a long time. But um, but yeah, so she wanted to work. I'm assuming she could, you know, still, you know, get, it wasn't like a necessarily like a thing where people lost faith maybe or anything in her, but. Maybe that's the thing too, is that you know, if you're two actors and you're married together, and yeah. 
one is making enough money where you don't feel like you need to. Like maybe she wasn't that into acting. Sure. Yeah, it's possible. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was just one of those like kind of things. Like she's like too good in this not to have done more stuff. Like I thought. And um, agreed. All right, so number three slash two on your list is uh, Sam Raimi's Army of Darkness, starring Bruce Campbell, Campbell, M. Beth Davids, Marcus Gilbert, and Ian Abercrombie. It has a 73% from critics and an 87% from audiences. I'm assuming most people probably at least know of this movie, but you want to tell them a little bit about the movie and uh, why you have it high on your list. Um, so... As opposed to calling this really a sequel to um, the Evil Dead movies, I would call this more of like the third soft reboot of the Evil Dead movies in the sense that it kind of sort of retcons the the history of Ash and like his experience with the Necronomicon and the Deadites. Um, in this one, he is cast into a alternate dimension pass where the Necronomicon is being held um, in this fantasy Arthurian world of knights and monsters um, where he becomes this chosen warrior who's sent out to claim the Necronomicon to wipe the deadites but because he's himself he fucks it up and ends up causing like this army of darkness to rise um, led by an evil undead clone of himself um, to then come and like attack this castle where him and this ragtag army of I don't know what you call them fuck what does he call them Cro- Cro-Magnons or whatever um, anyway <clears throat> it's a ridiculous over the top 100% like Sam Raimi movie in terms of the camera and the cuts and the almost like slapstick nature of the way that he films things. Um, Campbell is Bruce Campbell in it. Like you, I, I, I think you either like Bruce Campbell in these roles or you don't. I would assume that most people enjoy Bruce Campbell as this smarmy, Honestly, almost channeling um, um, your boy, uh, Kurt Russell in a, yeah. Um, yeah. Big Trouble. In a, the, right. In over his head, like too, too cocksure. But, yeah. And not knowing what the hell's going on. Yeah. Yeah. But still able to really like back it up by being just like a, a, a tough badass who fights and doesn't give up and is able to you know kind of like hold his own with this army of like monsters skeletons and another movie that i'm actually interested to hear like what you think of it because it's another thing where i feel like it's something you would hate typically just because of like the reliance on stop motion and it's very Raimi's like really inspired you can tell by like the late 70s like 
Chinese vampire movies with the fact that things are just like springing up all over the place and jumping and uh-huh. it's all very choreographed and cartoonish to a point. Yeah. Um, and I feel like you just don't like movies like that. Like I like this movie the least of all the Evil Dead movies because it takes itself the least seriously. Right. But I really like this movie a lot as the perfect it was the only thing he could do at the time to continue that franchise without it becoming tired or silly was by making it like even more ridiculous than what it could for it. And right. honestly is the reason why I love the Evil Dead remake from three or four years ago so much because it takes the premise and it makes it completely 100% serious. Mm-hmm. And I love that like that weird riff on this like pseudo comic universe that I'm a really big fan of. And so I, I, I think they're like watching all four of those movies sort of in close proximity to each other in the way that, cause we've talked about evil dead not too long ago. I mean, obviously during the course of the podcast, um, I just think it's really pretty fantastic to like see that evolution and see this <laughs> ridiculous, like one line quoting, you know, hail to the king, baby. Yeah, dude. There's so much in it. Like, I, 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 yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, I always loved Evil Dead too. Um, I actually didn't. I think I didn't appreciate until two years ago. I don't think I appreciated like how good Evil Dead was. Um, because I loved Evil Dead too so much, and I loved that kind of com like that 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 little comedy aspect that got thrown into Evil Dead too that I liked as a kid like or teenager i guess much more than i did the original evil dead um but yeah this uh i love the comedy aspect of this it's ash like i mean that i think makes this it's a mockery of a swashbuckler set in this medieval time with like all this supernatural demonic shit that's going on um i was always like interested even if it's in a comedy way, like the idea of like books like the Necronomicon, um, uh, the fuck are those things called? Um, Grimwalds or whatever. Um, like I, I've always like been like really interested in a young age, like in those kind oh, of things. Grimoire. Grimoires. Yeah. Um, nothing uh, like, <laughs> like Griswold. Is that what you know? <laughs> so I was thinking yeah. when you said that. Um, Griswolds. Uh, just, yeah. Um, there's some there's a bunch of fan theories about Evil Dead, including like what universe the Evil Dead takes place in and whatnot. <clears throat> I can't remember what the most recent one I read was that it tries to place Evil Dead in some universe with something else like really popular. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, I just think like it's highly quotable. Like the whole thing, like, you know, when he first gets there, like the boomstick stuff is hilarious to me. Um, you know, Hail to the King. The, the whole ending of that movie is like one of my favorite endings to like a horror comedy like ever. Um, when he, I, I would have hated the original ending. Like, it's still funny the idea that like he oversleeps and like the the alternate ending. You know what I'm talking about? Um, where he oversleeps and wakes up and the civilization's gone and everything, and he has that big old like Rip Van Winkle beard, which is still kind of like funny, but um. I love like the ending of this movie where it's like he's trying to talk himself up to that to uh it's uh what's his it's uh, Ted Raimi right um yeah, it is 
um where he's trying to talk himself up like you know about like it, you're right it is very much like jack burton like in, in some ways like this idea that he's gonna like tell his s martin like co-worker like how he got pulled back to an ancient civilization and basically became their king and and he's just kind of like quasi just gone along with it because it's like he doesn't believe him but his life's also that dull and then like that whole ending is one of my favorite endings ever like um with her like kind of coming through and um you know yeah hail to the king baby and um you know uh sexually assaulting her basically um at the end in today's <laughs> um parlance it made me really it, it didn't make me uncomfortable because i know the time period and i know the joke but it's like him just grabbing her and just kissing her um it's one of the first time it's the first time i've seen this in a long time so it kind of it's like Ugh. um but also fits in with ash's character uh yeah there's like so much the whole like what is it like he can't remember like the line from the day the earth stood still like yeah. um clayto <clears throat> barada necktie necktie yeah. is that what he's <laughs> like that shit's hilarious to me um is it, like it's like nectar nickel or something <laughs> uh, yeah that stuff's really funny I don't know. It's uh, I like these movies that don't take themselves too seriously as long as the humor isn't base or and that that's really it. Like base or like too I can't think of a better word than annoying because that's what I find also humor to be sometimes is annoying. Um crass almost crass, like right. base or base or crass. Like as long as it like doesn't <clears throat> delve into those territories. Um I usually kind of like horror comedies a lot of times. Um at least enjoy them enough. Like I mean there's one that's next month that I think has comedic elements that I watch and I really loved a lot, like I never seen before. Like and it's like um yeah, I mean, so uh, this is right up my alley. I, I think you're right. I think you nailed, hit the nail on the head, though, about, like, I never thought about Ash as, like, kind of in the mold of Jack Burton. And I think I really like those characters. Um, I've watched all, I don't know if you've watched it. I watched all of uh, Ash versus Evil Dead stuff. Not um, even fucking. Yeah. Um, there's some really funny stuff in it. And, I yeah, I think I enjoy that character. And you're right. It's like you're just going back to the well to some degree by doing that TV series. It's just basically this in the modern day um in a lot of ways but but yeah no i i really enjoy this movie because you know i I think that's how i'd have to describe it is it's not base or crass it's just funny tongue-in-cheek and and and, and satiric right i agree yeah um yeah but yeah there's so many like good things in this um just made me laugh like all the time um he has really great facial expressions too i mean i love bruce campbell just yeah in general, me too so. yeah yeah oh. but yeah it was a fun it was really fun to watch it again um and i mentioned ian amber crombie crombie as the uh wise man in it just because like it's funny seeing him outside of mr Pittman in Seinfeld, like, because you don't really see that guy, that actor, that often. Um, so it was funny to see him outside of that role, which is where I know yeah. him best from. Alright, so 
Main event, number one on your list is Candyman, directed by Bernard Rose. Stars Tony Todd in the title role. Also stars Virginia Madsen, Xander Berkeley, and Casey Lemons. Has a 75% from audiences, a 62% from, sorry, 75% from critics, 62% from audiences. Um, you want to tell us a little bit about this movie and uh, why it's number one on your list? Well, it's got a hundred percent from uh from Frank Pelicone. <laughs> um, probably one of my I don't know how to quantify it. It's one of my favorite horror movies of all time. Um, based on Clive Barker uh, books of blood short story called The Forbidden. Um, it follows uh, Virginia Madsen plays a young um postgraduate college student who's doing um a thesis along with her best friend on like urban myth and legend um she's married to a professor at a um university in chicago um she starts researching through like talking to some kids um this oral legend of this uh creature called the Candyman, um who's supposedly this killer that is summoned if you speak his name five times in the mirror um she finds out that he was the lore is that he was a son of a slave that was executed basically for getting a white woman pregnant um she starts to find a lot of connections between what she's like learned about him through the black community um and some things that she sees in real life so kind of gets the you sort of get the impression that maybe it's like some kind of like gang leader because there's a lot of commentary on that who's masquerading as this urban legend and that even happens at one point sort of um but as she gets drawn more into it you learn that he's a real like being um he starts to frame her for murders so she goes to jail at one point um ends up murdering um the dog of this woman that she's befriended then her best friend and she gets blamed for those murders and he kidnaps a child and she gets blamed for that murder um her husband is a lech who is cheating on her um so he kind of leaves her in this mental institution and uh Candyman breaks her out um because Candyman's become obsessed with the idea that she's representative of his long lost love um and then him and her are going to be together and die together and like live forever basically is like whispers you know on the street corners or whatever um so anyway so she ends up dying to rescue the child um and sort of like putting an end to the candy man as a result but then takes his place um and is summoned by her ex uh, in the bathroom where she murders him with the Candyman's hook. Um, and then you're left to, like, that's the end of the movie where you're kind of left to think of her as, like, the new thing that's, like, haunting Cabrini Green or these projects in Chicago. So, again, one of my favorite horror movies of all time. Um, great performances by Virginia Madsen and Tony Todd. Um, really solid direction um screenplay is pretty great 
uh and the idea of it like is you know i mean you've known me for a long time and i think one of the things we really talk about much on here but i'm super into like folklore and mythology and it's just something that's always fascinated me um from a pretty young age and i think this movie is one of the most perfect encapsulations of the idea of like urban myth and urban legend in the modern era like being our own and they even say this in the movie like our own version of like um oral folklore and like superstition in the sense that we don't really have um fables and you know we really don't believe in tall tales anymore but this is like kind of what's replaced it as these urban legends of you know the guy in the attic that murders a babysitter or the baby in the microwave and Candyman is this creation um that represents all those things and i think it's told in a pretty pretty perfect manner like it's um it's an amazing movie uh very tightly paced full of some really good like world building mythology and some good scares without having a whole lot of jump scares and it creates a really credible sort of sympathetic but also super menacing villain um and sort of creates that too in Virginia Madsen, you know, like by the end of the movie, like you do kind of believe that she could be this ghostly like creature haunting your mirror or whatever that would come and kill you. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I love this movie. One of my favorite movies. Right. Yeah. It's it it's really interesting like i watched this a year and a half ago i think on a whim kind of um because it was on netflix for free um and really enjoyed it because you had brought it up at some point oh no it was when the trailer came out for yeah can't even the new the one that was supposed to be out this year right um and then um and then i just watched it again the other week and uh which now it's on tubi i just saw um which it was not when i watched it but um because i had to pay for it but I find it really interesting because I know it's being remade and I know that like different people have criticized it, especially contemporaneously for kind of being racist in the sense that, and you know this better than me, but um, the original story was set in like England, right? Like in- it takes place in some, um, Tenements, or not tenements, but uh, projects in England, yeah. Yeah. Um, but the whole backstory there wasn't in that original story, right? In terms of, like, the... Well, so in, in the original story, she's um, researching graffiti in the projects. Um, right. So she starts finding all this graffiti about, like, um, sweets for the sweet, which they use in this movie. Um, and he kind of learns the myth of Candyman as a result. Uh, so it's, it's similar, but it's not exactly the same, but it's close. It's pretty close, but the slave and everything, all that backstory isn't there. Right. It's just, uh, I don't know if they even give him a backstory. It's been a really long time since I've read that short story. I'm almost positive that he's just kind of, uh, like a, a, fi- a figure of folklore like within the tenement mm-hmm. that ends up being like this guy that's really being like they're offering sacrifices to basically so yeah I 
I've just never a year and a half ago and this year I watched it again. It's like, I just, I think it deals with racism, but I just have never seen it as a racist movie um, in any way. In fact, I think it ex- it's exploring folklore and because he talks at one point about how trying to think of kind of like, at least so it's a decent paraphrase. Um, and he says we when he's talking to her and he like um, talks about like how we'll be remembered and all these other things. I, I just can't remember the line now. Um, and like, it seems to me that like, it's here's a guy who had a transgression, right? Like he transgressed against a community in impregnating a white woman and ends up being murdered by these people and then seeks revenge. Um, and then it's like he, and, and part of the racist charges, he relishes in the idea that he's kind of like a vengeful spirit in some ways. And people say like, Oh, well that's like, you know, the fact that he's and, and forget the urban stuff that's going on in the movie, but like that character itself could be con- perceived as racist because he's relishing in it. Um, you know, that he's like reenacting the horrors that are done to him in some way. Um, but I never really saw that because he almost sees in her, like, you know, this kindred spirit that can work with him. And here's a white woman who herself, to some degree, I think is transgressing by like trying, cause what is she doing? Right? Like, this woman's like trying to use going into these projects to try to use the mythology and the folklore of these people poor and, and the murder of the legitimate murder of right women. yes and the little right um for a fucking thesis you know and um it's almost like you know the the way that she is using these people who she wouldn't give a damn about otherwise. Like she wouldn't care about Caprini green, you know, at all. If it weren't for her damn thesis that she's writing. Um, there's a transgression there <laughs> as well for using these people and using their pain. And like, you know, and, and it feels to me that like, and I'm probably not explaining it well, but it's like, it's like he, that he ends up basically like you know doing the same thing to her that has been done to him, um, in some sort of like twisted way, and it feels like it to me. It's more of a punishment of these rich white elites than it is anything else. Agreed. Um, so I've never really understood because I know like uh. I don't even care about the criticism. It's our friend Rosenbaum um, talks about how it like um, kind of plays into like the worst aspects of like, you know, like this ghetto culture in quotes. Um, and, uh, you know, it like demonizes it like even more than the real life horrors of it and stuff like that. And it's exploiting like, you know, white racism, like how the blacks treat her and stuff like that. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's the point at all. 
like in the way that like the this community she's the one that's like trying to use them right. um and is getting her just as well i should, should say that uh, but it's like <clears throat> the idea is she's being punished for trying to use them um in a lot of ways and she doesn't know what she's involved in she doesn't really care because she's too worried about um so i don't know how you feel about that but it's just like i i just never saw it as racist i mean i've never seen it mostly because like the only real sympathetic people in the whole movie are the black people who live in cabrini green right the young mother and yeah. um the little boy like those are the ones that have what's the word i'm looking for like morals and ethics and in the end even though like this woman's taking advantage of trying to take advantage of them they still try to look out for <clears throat> like it's mm-hmm. i don't know i mean it, it it's not exploitive in the sense of like like look at something like colors i guess or i don't know like it's not exploiting the fact that there are black people that live in these tenements or whatever these projects it's using that as like showing it's using that setting because it's the most logical modern setting to show urban folklore tradition like the traditions of the Mm -hmm. the oral histories of things and how things are passed down and i don't know it never makes those people like a joke or ridiculous or something like lesser I don't think I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. well, well, here's the other thing, right? It's like at the end of Xander Berkeley. I, I haven't really talked about the movie. I just jumped to this race stuff, but it's like I love Xander Berkeley as this like fucking. He's usually like a second rate, third rate character and stuff, but like I love him as the husband in this because he's just a fucking awful prick, and he plays that awful prick so well, like just like slimy and gross. But um, in his lecture at the beginning. He mentions the idea that, like, the idea of modern folklore is this, like, reflection of the fears of urban society. Um, he says, like, to, like, kind of wrap up his lecture in the beginning. And, like, I think that's the kind of the point I'm trying to get at is, like, like, yes, Candyman is, and that's what's brilliant, I think, about, like, the drug dealer taking on the Candyman and the hook, like, you know to try to like scare these people almost to some degree, like, you know, uh, of taking it on, but it's like Candyman is this fear of urban society. Um, because here was a black man who was unjustly killed and tortured and maimed for daring to have a consensual relationship with a white woman all these years ago. Um, and that, and that represents the fears of that society that like, you know, boil over and manifest itself to this day. And what this movie is about is almost like making a mockery, I think, of the fears of white people. I don't where, know. Yeah. It's like, of like, she ends up being the, like, you know, like the, the white woman who like goes into the ghetto and is transformed, you know, by whatever means. 
and becomes like you know that that she's the manifestation of that that she could be like you know the white woman who is unjustly um you know commits these crimes you know is, 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 is accused of committing these crimes and all these other things um it's almost like her little story you know how i make fun of white culture all the time and like you know like kind of like bourgeois white culture it's like what is more bourgeois than a grad student you know um who's writing her a thesis with her husband who's a professor and the professor's cheating on her with a with, with an undergrad um you know and then it's like she gets accused of murder and all these other things like how isn't that like the biggest bourgeois white fear in the world it's pretty bougie right that's what i'm saying though it's a reflection of the fear of it's also white urban society in this case i mean it, it's there, there there's a lot of criticism i think of white privilege here in a time before white privilege was a thing in the sense that she's accused of murder and she's out released to the recognizance of her husband right like they right. charge her with murder right. and then she's walking out the front door you know yeah one scene later when he comes back from screwing his his undergrad yeah i don't know i i just i, I guess maybe i think that jordan peele probably agrees with a lot of things that you're saying with the fact that this isn't a racist movie because he's the one that's producing you know the remake of it and from what it seems like it's still a pretty it's still pretty adheres tightly to that you know that story yeah, I'll be fascinated to see the changes of it. Like, I mean, that's one of the reasons I'm most interested in it, even though I, I really like what Peel... Because he's, he's just producing it, right? He's not directing it, is he? Hey, producer. Yeah. So I, I'm really interested to see the, if, if what changes are made and what changes, you know, like how they kind of play out and stuff like that um, for that reason. I don't believe anything. it's... I don't believe it's a remake. I think it's like a legitimate sequel. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Pretty sure that Tony Todd is just reprising Candyman. Oh, okay. Like, that's cool. 30 years after the events of what happened yeah. in the original. I'm, I, okay. Don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Okay, that's cool. Then. Um, yeah. Hmm. Um, but yeah, even then, it's like you could you could certainly make a statement on this movie, even if it's a sequel. I mean, um, so I, I'll be interested to see what that what that is. You know, I mean, um, but yeah, yeah, I, I, I I wish I had thought about it more um, before I tried to explain it, but I, I think towards the end there, that's all my ultimate point is I think that this is the white urban fear um, um, manifesting itself in some way of, of this woman's life, you know? Um, and I wish that I would have thought more about it too. So I could have had a better, like more cohesive retort to that question. Because I mean, honestly, like, I just look at it as one of the most perfect, like, urban mythos movies yeah. ever. Yeah, I mean, I think if the you way just... that it's addressed. Agreed. Agreed. I, I think if you just sit there and just watch it and just take it in, like, for the story that it is. Yeah, it's like, this. it's fresh. It's new. Like, it's not like any of the same old shit. You know, um, this is unique. Um, I know it's based off of, you know, uh, you know, a story, but, like, Still, like this, this is different compared to everything else. Compared to Scanners Three and Pet Cemetery Two, and like all that kind of stuff. Like, and then, like you said, in terms of your interest in folklore, it's like, yeah, this is like a new piece of folklore that's kind of like that's being created in some way um, in this movie. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a fascinating movie, and it's a great horror movie just on its own. You know me; I just always get like interested in some of this, you know, 
Um, uh, sociological. Yeah, yeah. You get it. So, but yeah, this is a fantastic movie. Um, I, I think this is Virginia Madsen's best performance. I think. Mm, that's probably true. Um, I'm look her up now. I mean, I, the only thing I've watched recently is um. The prophecy, right? Um, and she's not in very good movies. Mm. She's pretty good in sideways. Oh yeah, I've, you know well. Yeah, you know why I forget about her in Sideways? Because Sandra O upstaged her. She's in a bunch of shit that I just haven't seen. God, she's so oh. so many movies. She looks like she's reprising her role in the new Candyman. That'll be nice. Huh. Really, she it doesn't have her under here. It's filming. Well, it's really weird. Like, I'm looking at this thing with the characters, and it, like, has Helen Lyle. Um, and it has two names listed there. Cassie Kramer and Virginia Matson. I have no idea what's going on there. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. I don't see any mention of it in her, uh, <clears throat> on her wiki. Oh, uh, maybe I wonder if they use past footage. Maybe that's possible. That's probably what it is. That's probably what it is. I hope that movie ever comes out. That's funny. She was in Hot Trot. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. It's got to be her best performance. She's really good in this. Um, really, she won Best Supporting Actress in all those places. Didn't Sandra Oh like, win like, a bunch of shit in that? I don't remember. It's been forever since I've seen that movie, even though we uh, make fun of it all the time. Yeah. I mean, I like that movie a little bit better than you, but... Not by much. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's maybe 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 it's that I'd have to watch it again. But so apparently, the principal photography is finished on the movie. No, I mean, I would have figured it was, and has been done for almost two years. It's pushed out to August 27th, 2021. August? Okay. Mm. <laughs> That's not that far, really. Far. Um, 
unless it's happening within the next two weeks to me it's too far <laughs> so yeah so cassie kramer is playing helen lyle right which is um it says in that the character was previously by Virginia Matson. So my guess is that since they're kind of recasting it for this movie, um, they probably use a couple clips to reestablish for people. This is who this character was in the first movie. That's probably why it's listing Virginia Matson on there. Is there is they're using old footage? Is my guess. That's what's going on. Right there. Maybe? I think that's what's going on. He's still a vengeful spirit in this movie, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Oh, well, that this all makes sense. Dude, the fucking the main character is the kid. Yeah, yeah. That's uh that's really Yeah. That's a really good storyline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful for it. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, interesting. Yeah, I hope it's good. Oh, he, he wrote good. it though. Okay, mm-hmm. I didn't know that. I, I yeah, just thought it was, okay. Um, so yeah, so it was a good list. I thought. I think next week is um pretty good too. Next week's really good. Yeah. Um. I, I really enjoyed every single movie um, in 93 and 94 is a good list from what I remember. There's like a lot of really good movies I like on that. And then I think things start getting really interesting and diverse and unique once we reach that midpoint of the 90s. Because then, because you're finding a lot of really good movies or gems, I think, that are outside of this early 90s, you know direct-to-video stuff um so we're not talking about those kind of things quite as much but yeah the middle of the 90s is when like kind of like horror starts making a comeback to me um at least from like the titles and stuff that are out there and more original stuff gets produced and so yeah i mean i think there's a lot of a lot of good stuff to come like in all of these so but yeah yeah i'm looking right now there's um Every every year has at least like three movies that I'm really excited to talk about and watch again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agree. All right, so um, next week we will be in the first week of April. We are going to have from the podcast Jason Heaster on to discuss all four Indiana Jones movies, um, and then we will um, be moving on to the top five movies filmed in Maryland. Uh, to celebrate Maryland Day um, for the one and only time that we'll ever do that on the podcast. Um, and then we will finish up the month with the horror movies of 1993. Um, and then in May, we have uh, the first Fresh Five of the year, where Frank picks his uh, top five movies that he's watched, regardless of genre or year. Um, he just kind of... Uh, ranks his best that he's just because he's always watching movies outside of the podcast movies um and then uh we're doing the top five next crime movies of the 1970s um yep and then we are doing the top five movies that chris loves but frank is indifferent to 
and then we will be covering the top five movies in 1994. So May is a loaded month for us. Um, five weeks, four episodes, all of them with five movies on it. Um, so that'll be exhausting. But <laughs> it's the month of Chris. So because um, I love the Fresh Fives. Um, crime film is like my favorite genre. And I get to torture Frank with my indifferent movies. So torture. If only Some Scream, movie. if only Scream had fallen in 1994, like it would definitely be the month of Chris. Like, um, so you gotta I wait a year, about, right? Uh, all right. <sighs> so, all right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a good night. Have a good week. Yep. Have a good night. Thank you. <laughs>